At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 368th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners, we want to know what you think about our podcast. You've been listening to me for almost three years now, and I want to hear from you. I have some very specific questions, including what you like about our podcast and where we should be going next. The important part is, I really want your opinion. I'm looking to connect with 50 listeners from no more than 10 minutes who are willing to share your thoughts. It's simple to sign up. Go to urbanfarm.org and look at the top menu. Sign up there. I look forward to chatting. I have said it many times, I am a lifelong learner, and I am excited to let you know about a unique global online event made just for those of us who want to grow our own food. In this four-day online learning opportunity, a collection of visionary growers, gardeners, permaculturists, and homesteaders share garden hacks, slow tools, gadgets, and gardening technologies. Join tens of thousands of budding growers and learn how to save time, energy, and money while doing what you love most, growing your own food and medicine. Visit urbanfarm.org forward slash garden hacked to register for this free online summit. Today on our podcast, we're talking about the perspective and impact younger generations are having on growing food. We're speaking with Matthew Kozak about youth and sustainable farming. Matthew currently serves as the Build Day Coordinator for Engineers for a Sustainable World, ESW, which he's been part of since joining the UC Berkeley chapter as a project leader in 2014. He graduated in May of 2017 with a BS in Energy Engineering and is facilitating solar photovoltaic maintenance for the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission. That sounds exciting. Seriously. Build Day is an initiative started by ESW creating local sustainable change by bringing together technical expertise and community organizing. During the ESW Build Day event this past April, the chapter met about 70 other volunteers to help construct a chicken coop, plant a strawberry patch, and create sheet mulching for expanding the Hoover Hawks Victory Garden. Welcome to the show today, Matthew. Are you ready to rock the farming project? Of course I am, Greg. Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Yeah, of course. Like you said, my name is Matt Kozik. I'm the Build Day Coordinator currently for Engineers for Sustainable World. And I help oversee sustainable projects from Buffalo, New York to East Lansing, Michigan, and most recently an awesome school garden in Oakland, California, partnered with Hoover Elementary School. And so I first got involved with sustainable gardening during my sophomore year at the University of California, Berkeley, a project at the nearby Oxford track. And so the space is used both as 
a university research location and for community gardening. And I was luckily able to get involved with both during my time as an ESW project leader. And so that was really what sparked my interest in urban gardening and why I actually carried through in being with ESW even after I graduated from Berkeley. And currently in my role with ESW, I'm able to find different sustainability projects from across the country, and I'm able to amplify them and give them support and additional funding to have that extra community impact that we're trying to through the Build Day program. Wow. So we're going to get to across the country here in a minute, but before we go there, what is Engineers for a Sustainable World? Yeah, so ESW is a nonprofit that's comprised of students, university faculty, and professionals across the country and North America who are dedicated to basically building a better and more sustainable world for current and future generations. And so we do direct projects on campuses in nearby communities and internationally, but we also put a lot of focus on educating these communities about what we're doing and how they can make a difference after we leave. And so we have about 50 predominantly collegiate chapters across North America, and then we have an overarching ESW headquarters team, which I'm a part of and have been a part of for the last couple of years. And so with these thousand active collegiate and professional members across the country, we have a bunch of educational programs, sustainable oriented design projects, and then different volunteer activities that help bring this network together and direct them towards sustainable change. Wow. A thousand active members. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. We also have an annual conference every year and we bring about two, 300 of those members out to a single location. This past April, we, we brought them out to Atlanta, Georgia, at Georgia Tech. And it's just a really cool opportunity to bring a lot of diverse voices together to talk about a singular passion of sustainability. Wow. So what kind of projects are we talking about? Obviously, there was the garden project you did. But if you're across the country, you've probably seen some pretty cool projects. So the Build Day program is in its first year, and we've actually completed two projects, including that Hoover Elementary project, the other one being in Buffalo, New York, this past April. And ESW projects, not specific to the Build Day program, can cover a wide range of topics. You see a lot of different solar projects across the country that try to integrate solar energy into campus. You see a lot of chapters across the country connecting with community gardening organizations and to work on different issues like herbicides and and looking at air quality in the area. And so they can cover a wide range of issues, but with this Build Day program specifically, I'm looking to target projects that have very clear community impact and can be taken even further if we provide them additional support and funding. So like I said, we've committed two projects in the past year, and we're looking for more and more as this program grows. Cool. So your ESW Build Day project is really about addressing local food insecurity issues. How is it done that? So when we chose this first project, Hoover Elementary School, we had two primary goals, which, like you said, was fighting food insecurity in the community. And the second was getting the younger generation excited about urban gardening. And so about a year ago, I met with my leadership team on ESW, and we talked with the chapter from UC Berkeley because they were really excited about the potential of their existing partnership with Hoover Elementary in achieving those two goals that I just listed. So throughout the end of 2017, myself and the other students from UC Berkeley 
met with their garden director out at Hoover named Wanda. And she basically invited us to mulching parties and to sustainable gardening lessons. And we got a lot of opportunities to meet with the kids and sort of see what this project could do for them. And personally, when I first went to the garden in the end of 2017 in this West Oakland Elementary School, I immediately knew why it was going to be such an important project. I felt that the schoolyard garden was really the only resource that these students had to accessible, fresh, healthy nutrition, and that the lessons that they were getting from Wanda and supported by the UC Berkeley students were really the only information they were getting about nutrition. And so this ended up being a good and a bad thing because we were able to leave just about every impression of nutrition from the garden, and so they got very excited about it. But basically, we worked with the UC Berkeley team all the way up until their Build Day event in 2018 in April. And during this event, we had about 70 volunteers come out to build a large chicken coop, expand the strawberry patch in the garden, and blend fresh delicious fruit smoothies on a beautiful sunny day in Oakland. And I think the most important part of this in demonstrating that we were successful was that about 30 or 40 Hoover Elementary students came out on their Saturday off to participate and work on their garden. And so I think we were successful in making them excited about it. Wow. So I'm going to put you on the spot here and I want you to think about those 30 to 40 young people that showed up. Is there one of them that stands out? I actually think there is one of them. And he was someone that I met on my first day out the garden. His name was Chris. And he basically, my first time out the garden came right up to me and showed me the fruit smoothie that they'd been blending on the smoothie bike that they had. Uh-huh. And he basically told me all the various ingredients that were going into it and where they came from in the garden. And that was kind of one of my first light bulb moments on why this project was going to be successful was because I was truly seeing the passion in his voice when he was just telling me about a fruit smoothie. And before I knew it, he had drank the entire thing. That stuck with me after I left the garden for the first time. And then when I came out to that build day in mid-April and we started working on the chicken coop, it was the same kid who came up to me and kind of corrected me on how I was putting the mud wrong on the cob structure. Not in a critical way, but sort of trying to take ownership and initiative on the project. It was really cool to see when given responsibility, how much onus these kids took on how excited they were about it. Wow. And how old-ish is Chris? So the class isn't all in the same grade, but Chris is probably about 11 or 12. Wow. So you entered his space of his garden, and he's excited, really sharing how it's impacted him. How'd that make you feel? That like our time in the garden was well worth it because we were really feeling a clear need that I saw. And Chris wasn't the exception. Obviously, not every kid in the garden didn't have access to nutrition on a daily basis. But for most of them, I thought that this garden was definitely the most exposure they had to it. And they really seemed to enjoy their lessons with Wanda. They have them on the daily after their core curriculum. And it's really just a good way for them to take a break from the school day and end it on a good note. Yeah. But when I saw that passion, especially with Chris, I knew the project was well worth it. And it kind of makes me want to keep doing what I do for UCW. Right. I was going to say, it's the reason we do what we do, right? Exactly. How do you see educating younger generations about growing their own food and urban farming? How is that going to impact them? For children, especially growing up in urban environments, I think that being conscious about your food and where it comes from is rarely a primary concern or even a concern at all. Most families, the parents are typically the ones buying the 
groceries and children are left ignorantly blissful of where their food is coming from and particularly where their produce is coming from. And when you end up getting into the cycle and end up eating what comes from the grocery store, it's a dependency that's likely going to carry on later into life. Personally, my parents didn't tell me a whole lot about where produce was coming from, but they would take me to farmer's markets every so often. Even as a kid, I was able to see these people who actually grew the food and were able to actually talk about where it came from. And that stuck with me. But at Hoover Elementary, a lot of children didn't have that same exposure. And so as this urban gardening and farming movement continues to gain steam, I think especially in places like the urban Bay Area, there's a real opportunity to bring on that younger generation and break a part of the cycle and make these children the educators tomorrow's urban farming and gardening movement. So I think there's also an opportunity there for a lot of these younger voices to just go back to their parents and tell them about it and help impact the nutritional levels on a family basis. Well, and you're dealing with multiple ages of young people. I'm 57, so to me, you're a young person. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But you're melding university students and elementary students together. How is that working? How is the interactions between them happening and does it work? So I actually think that this is one of the biggest successes of the project. And this is really one of the main reasons why we brought these UC Berkeley students in to collaborate is because the Hoover students love being able to show off their garden. And I believe they feel more comfortable to people who are their age. So like I said, the first time that I was able to volunteer at the garden, at least seven or eight students, including Chris, ran right up to me just wanting to show off their smoothies and the latest strawberry patch in the garden. And then, like I said, on the day of the Build Day event, I had a lot of people critiquing me or just really being the leaders of the day, and I was more the student. And so that was the end goal. But like I said, the UC Berkeley team came in and they told me that they were seeing the same enthusiasm and initiative from these Hoover students that I saw the first time I went out there. And I think it's just because these Hoover students are more comfortable and they show an increased sense of collaboration and are even more open to proposing wilder ideas for expanding their garden when they're with UC Berkeley students. It might be sort of, I don't want to say a fear of adults, but oftentimes little kids don't want to be critiqued by people they consider sort of like their parents. And so when they're with these college students, they feel more comfortable, like they're not going to get in trouble for suggesting something wild. And so the role of the UC Berkeley students is to kind of take that enthusiasm and take that creativity and make it come to life. So the chicken coop was inspired by sort of that conversation between the UC Berkeley students and the Hoover students. By bridging these voices of the younger generation, I think that's where a lot of the current success in the project has come from. Wow. You're doing something that I would just call incredibly beautiful and epic. The best thing about it was a lot of it was purely natural. Like we didn't have to force these UC Berkeley students to even really go up to do anything and start conversation with the Hoover students because they were eager to do it themselves. And that was the best part about the project was that so much of this was seamless and fun. That's the way it should be. What perceptions are you seeing with the elementary students around urban farming and sustainable agriculture and where their food comes from, for that matter? In today's church, changing urban landscape, I think it's even more pressing, like I said, to get the younger generation in on this urban farming and gardening movement. So I've grown up in the Bay Area my entire life. I'm born and raised in San Francisco, and now I'm currently living in Oakland. But I've seen 
how expensive space has gotten over the last couple of decades. And the Bay Area is currently facing a housing crisis, which means that many families can't afford a place to grow their own food, let alone live. And so many families are crammed into apartment complexes that don't have access to the resources that they would need to add that nutrition and save money in their daily lives. So finding fresh produce is often a chore. And it's really tough when you're worrying about other things in your life because it can be expensive and you may have to go further to a different store. And like I said a little earlier, when children grow up with families with limited access to fresh produce, it can carry on later in life. So with this Hoover Elementary Project, this is really the cycle and the perceptions that we're aiming to break. Projects and spaces like the Hoover Elementary Garden create real opportunities to solve these vital community issues and alter current perceptions and just get at the kind of core of the problem. And I think providing the community members and students with the space, the resources, and lastly, and most importantly, the education to become self-sufficient and resilient can truly unite the community and make a lasting difference. Wow. Well said. Thank you. So are there other sustainable food projects in the future of ESW? So this was the first year of the Build Day program, and this was the project that focused mostly on food insecurity. But as we look towards our next round of projects, that's definitely something that we'll be looking at. So we're trying to unite the community behind all sorts of community issues like food insecurity. And like I said, this project was the first one for a reason. It was a clear community need that we saw could be alleviated by expanding on the neighborhood's focal point. And even before the event, we were trying to emphasize the importance of nutrition in these kids' lives. And we're hoping that these early lessons will serve as a basis for combating food insecurity at Hoover and wherever these kids may go into different neighborhoods later in life. And so we're hoping that we're planting the seeds for larger change with this project. But there are so many different ESW projects across the country at our 50-plus chapters. And like I said, really, my role is to highlight some of these and amplify their effect to bring about impact in other communities like we did in Oakland. Cool. Well, moving forward, if you come up with any other food projects that you want to share about, let me know and we'll get you to talk about them on the podcast. Yeah, of course. I'd love to. And I also want to do a shout out to Wanda. It sounds like the project lead over at Hoover Elementary is a rock star. She is the most amazing individual and she really just brings that charisma to the garden that kind of creates that excitement behind the entire build day. She was the connection, obviously, between the UC Berkeley students and the Hoover Elementary students, but she was really the one also bringing in a lot of the community voices. She cooked fresh collard greens from the garden on the day of, which were delicious. I had to drive them over in my car and the smell in my car, I wanted to stop the car and just pull over and eat them myself. But she was really the whole power behind the whole day. Beautiful. Well, thank you, Wanda. Yeah, thank you, Wanda. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you learned from it. I'd like to bounce back to my time as an ESW member while I was at UC Berkeley. And so this was kind of my first experience as a project leader, and I think I learned a lot from it. So I had a team of initially nine undergraduate ESW members, and we were working out at the Oxford track to grow microalgae and ultimately use it as a biofuel for UC Berkeley campus. However, 
a lot of my team didn't know a whole lot about microalgae or biofuels. And so keeping them entertained on the subject was kind of difficult because we hadn't secured grant funding or anything yet. And they had a lot of other things to worry about. And so I faced that challenge of keeping people engaged and participated, even though my, I didn't know a whole lot about the subject matter. But once we got grant money, I knew I needed to get people back on board. And so this is kind of where I struggled and we fell behind. But ultimately, I signed everyone who was initially in the project a different strain of microalgae and different testing conditions to grow them under. And so since everyone had their own individual responsibility that they could clearly watch and monitor, and I could clearly watch and monitor, it actually got people engaged and excited again. And then I kind of used that as a springboard to go forward. And we built the reactor that actually grew microalgae in the Oxford Track greenhouse by the end of the project. And by the time I transferred the leadership of the project over, we were ready to take it into the lab. But I think I learned so much about project management from that experience. Experience, and I carried that a lot into this build day program. Beautiful. Well, you know, project management is huge. Thank you, Janice. She's my manager that helps manage all that I do. And so I'm very clear that a good project manager is essential. Yeah, a really key part of the project. <laughs> yeah. What do you consider your biggest success? So I actually think the Build Day program is one of my biggest successes because this is, like I said, the first year of the project. And this is a role in ESW I was really excited to take on because of the direct community impact that it had. But the main success for me this year in the program is that I had always felt super passionate about issues like food insecurity in my community, but I wasn't really able to do a whole lot about it in my full-time job and for a San Francisco agency. And so I was really excited when I was able to go to that Build Day event and see the impact we were making because it was fulfilling something in my own community that I had wanted to do for a really long time. And to be able to use my platform as a volunteer in ESW to do that kind of was an awe-firing moment for me. Nice. And what drives you? What drives me is a large reason why I stay in organizations like ESW is because I want to inspire more and more engineers to actually mobilize and be at the forefront of solving tomorrow's sustainability issues. And I know that sounds kind of cliche, but honestly, it's because my time spent in ESW as a project member, leader, and now on the leadership team has had a very direct impact on the trajectory of my career. And my time spent talking to community members at the Garden and at the Oxford Track when I was a student really altered what I thought about the world in general, obviously around urban gardening and farming, but also just about equity and environmental justice. And if I didn't have these experiences in a project management role through ESW, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. So that's a lot of what drives me is I want to provide that same experience that I have and inspire more people through ESW. So it seems to me like you get stuff done. We try to. <laughs> and given that, I have a question for you. I want to know the big answer on this. And that is, how do you get stuff done? So I think the most important thing for these ESW projects and getting them completed is obviously the students and being able to communicate successfully with these students because obviously they've got other things going on and the project success is kind of contingent on them being able to communicate with the partner and yourself. And so a lot of what I put focus into in completing these projects is 
getting to know the students, kind of understanding their situation, where they're coming from, and then actually working with them and the partners together to kind of familiarize them with what ESW does so that we're all on the same page. Because some of the projects that I failed on personally have been where I haven't connected as much with the chapter and got to know them, and then we've fallen behind as a result. So I want you to take a deeper cut at why you do what you do in the world and what drives you. Like, look at your whole life and speak from there. Like I said, I'm a lifelong San Francisco native, but I didn't really grow up in the urban core of San Francisco, the downtown area. I kind of grew up out by the beach and by Lake Merced specifically. And it's not super urban over here, but I was obviously pretty close to it. So I got views and perspectives of both of those when I was growing up, both the kind of nature side of going to the beach and the urban side. But I also got to see kind of the overlap between the two. I'd see pollution on the beaches and in the lake. And that was always something that bothered me as a kid and kind of just got me into environmentalism and caring about sustainability in the first place. And obviously that's carried over into what I've got my degree in and my work for ESW currently. So I think a lot of what I learned when I was growing up in San Francisco still drives me today. And you can see that in the projects that I'm doing right now. And when I come back to San Francisco and I go back to my old past, I kind of still have those memories where I'm looking around and I kind of, since I'm still remembering them, I'm seeing how much of an impact they still had on me. So I really do think that where I grew up is still the largest driver of why I do what I do. Wow. Thank you. So if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? So since we're talking about kind of bringing the younger generation on board, I'm going to talk about my childhood favorite that just got me thinking about nutrition and produce in general, which was The Very Hungry Caterpillar by Eric Carle. And if you don't know it, it's a picture book, I believe from the 1960s. And it basically is about a caterpillar that progressively over the course of the week eats more and more produce. And then at the end of the week has a huge meal of sweets and spoils himself and basically gets sick. And then the next day goes back to that nice, healthy, nutritious diet and turns into a beautiful butterfly. And so when I was a kid, I really loved the book because of the illustration, but it also made me start thinking that maybe different types of food have different effects on your body. And like even making a young child have that thought in their head is kind of what this Hoover project is trying to do, is trying to not trick students on how to get passionate about sustainable gardening and urban farming, but kind of get them on board with it in a way that they're inspired and passionate about it without them even knowing it. (laughs) Wow. Nice connection there. Yeah. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Going off the Very Hungry Caterpillar point, I just think all the listeners should know that when you're talking with the younger generation, you can be surprised by how little moments can go on and carry on later in life. And that's not just simply limited to nutrition and farming and everything, but I think it was very evident in this project that there are going to be some of these kids who will be changed from their experience in this garden, whether they know it or not. And so as listeners go on and interact with younger voices in their own community gardens and in their own lives, I would say just follow some simple how-tos on how to get people excited. Maybe create a scavenger hunt in your garden or like we did for Build 
day do an interactive chicken coop design that can give the students different roles in it or give them domain over their own strawberry patch and have each student plant their own strawberry and kind of take ownership over it. Because that was where I saw the biggest success in this project is when we gave all of these children responsibility. They took it on. They were eager about it. And like I said, before they even knew it, they were actually the teachers in the garden rather than the students. Gotta love that. Sounds like you're doing great work then if you're getting that to happen. I hope so. We're we're hoping to continue doing this in the next year of the Build Day program. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Matthew. Yes, of course. Thank you for having me, Greg. And how can our listeners get a hold of you? So if anyone has any follow-up questions or just wants to know more about the Build Day program or ESW, you can reach me via email. My email address is mkozik at eswusa.org. So that's M-K-O-Z-U-C-H at eswusa.org. And that's also your website. Yes, and our website is eswglobal.org. Perfect. You can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash ESW. We are your urban farming resource. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, podcasts, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners, we want to know what you think about our podcast. You've been listening to me for almost three years now, and I want to hear from you. I have some very specific questions, including what you like about our podcast and where we should be going next. The important part is, I really want your opinion. I'm looking to connect with 50 listeners from no more than 10 minutes who are willing to share your thoughts. It's simple to sign up. Go to urbanfarm.org and look at the top menu. Sign up there. I look forward to chatting. I have said it many times. I am a lifelong learner, and I am excited to let you know about a unique global online event made just for those of us who want to grow our own food. In this four-day online learning opportunity, a collection of visionary growers, gardeners, permaculturists, and homesteaders share garden hacks, slow tools, gadgets, and gardening technologies. Join tens of thousands of budding growers and learn how to save time, energy, and money while doing what you love most, growing your own food and medicine. Visit urbanfarm.org forward slash garden hacked to register for this free online summit. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, Head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products 
That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.